Welcome back to the Get Lost Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Sills, freelance journalist for outlets like Nat Geo, Discovery Channel, blah, 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 blah. Today's guest is a Nashville-based songwriter. He makes his way to the self-proclaimed music city via Jonesboro, Arkansas. His music has been recognized by places like Billboard, NPR, and Rolling Stone, and he's crisscrossed the country from LA to Texas to New York on tour. His name is E.G. Vines, and he joins us now. E.G., what's up, man? What's going on, man? How are you today? I am fantastic. As fate would have it, we both just got back from fabulous Indianapolis, Indiana to watch Alabama lose a national title football game. I told myself last night I was done thinking about it. Sorry. uh, It's okay. It's okay. It's anytime I go out of the house, people know I'm an Alabama fan. And anytime we lose, I hear about it. You know, there's nothing I can do. It's just going to come up. That's brutal. So you live in Nashville now, but that's really not terribly far from Tuscaloosa. And you went to college down there, right? Yep. Probably three and a half hour drive from here. Not too bad. Easy enough. And then how far is that drive from Nashville up to Indy? Uh, It only took us about four hours. Yeah, that's not bad at all. Four hours on the way there, about 12 hours uh, hungover with a loss on the way home. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Man, I'm excited about today's show. For a long time, I've been wanting to talk to a touring musician about life on the road. We've got a lot of travel stories that come in and out of this podcast, but I think like some of the greatest road warriors out there and most legendary road warriors are musicians. I mean, you guys basically sacrifice all semblance of a normal life to make your career and your passion work, do you think? Yeah, you have to, unless you're just one of those, you know, maybe 1% of us that get some kind of overnight sensation or some other way get discovered. 99% of us have to go out there and really just kind of hit new cities and just hammer them and, and do it over and over until your name kind of starts spreading in some markets. So I'll give you guys a little bit of insight and you can go, you can hit pause if you want because on-demand listening, but you can go to egvines.com and listen to a couple of his songs. Of course, EG's on Spotify and, and Apple Music and all the gratuitous places to get songs streaming these days. But I actually had the opportunity to see him live here in Memphis, and it was a pretty cool scenario where I got a phone call from a buddy. He said, come down to this joint called Hernando's Hideaway. My friend's playing. You know, we'll just go and have a few beers and kick back. How would you describe Hernando's? Man, it's like old school swanky. It's um, Jerry Lee Lewis and Elvis and leopard walls and plush couches. It's like a time capsule and teleports you somewhere else, I'd say. Yeah, and it is one of those hidden gems in Memphis that is kind of on the edge of town. It's out near Graceland where really locals don't generally go unless you live around there. But you pull into this dark parking lot off of the highway and it's like a brick building. You walk in and there's pool tables and in a very unironic way, just crap from music history from just decades and decades of Jerry Lee Lewis and Johnny Cash and Elvis and all those kind of cats. And then there underneath this leopard print velvet sort of a curtain is EG with maybe there's 30 people in the room. And this guy sounds like fucking Dave Grohl. It sounded like an arena rock show mixed with singer songwriter stuff straight out of Nashville like Jason Isbell type stuff. And I was completely blown away. I was like, dude, what the fuck are you doing playing here? 
Thank you, man. I think when I got off, you said Isbel meets Dave Grohl. I think yeah. I actually used used you as a quote somewhere. So, <laughs> but I put your name. So, yeah, that means a lot. Those are like my influences. I grew up with grunge, and you know, Foo Fighters were a part of that. Stone Temple Pilots. I mean, I'm a huge Radiohead fan, but '90s alt and grunge is a big part of why I do this. You know, when I really started getting serious about it a few years ago, I was really into Isbel and Bob Dylan and mm-hmm. those guys. That just just realized that I'd never written a song remotely as good as those guys, you know, as the eighth cut on most of their records. So yeah. that just totally inspired me to get to work. And then I think I used to find that kind of music boring because sonically it just didn't speak to me as much as maybe an alternative rock record would. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I'm trying to marry the two in a way that comes out and speaks. And that's just me like leaning into what my influences are, I think, and just trying to be who I am as much as trying to like go for a sound or a style or anything. How much of that is growing up near Memphis? Because Jonesboro, I think I got that right. Yep. So Jonesboro's not, it's like less than an hour from Memphis. So how much influence does this city have on you versus like a Nashville where people are going to think country music, like bro country and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, probably a lot. You know, obviously we go to Memphis for our big homecoming and prom and stuff like that. You know, we get the limo and sneak some booze and head over there. I remember going to like Folks Folly was a restaurant we went to one time. Yeah, so you'd ride an hour in the limo with some... some booze and and get good oh, yeah. before you hit downtown yeah i remember one time my my dad found out he was like i'm gonna tell the other parents i was like don't do it none of them got in trouble thankfully yeah we'd do that you know early 2000s mid 2000s high school and then college i went to bill street music fest pretty much every year yeah for those of you who don't know bill street music fest is a three-day festival typically down on the mississippi river you know big bands usually they're bands that have been out a while i mean you're not gonna get the most cutting edge stuff but you can still get huge huge acts like Foo Fighters or Smashing Pumpkins. I think both of those bands are playing this year. So anyway. Yeah, I'd seen I'd seen Smashing Pumpkins there before. I saw, you know, like Stone Temple Pilots. I got to see them in the early 2000s. I remember seeing Incubus there. Of course, they have classic rock bands and stuff like that. But, you know, we go there every year, just walking down from Beale and down by the river and getting muddy every year and just soaking up Memphis. Yeah, and that, that's also out. a huge part of it is it rains every year in May. And so the festival's on grass, which soon turns and it just a quagmire because there's a hundred thousand people walking on it. I remember it didn't rain. People were like, oh, it hadn't rained in three days. And you get down there and somehow like one day and it's still muddy. You know, because you're down there by the river and always had your boots and just stomp along and a lot of fun. Always had a lot of fun there. And it was it was always cheaper than you know a lot of the other festivals, especially now. Like you know back then you could get sixty dollar festival tickets or something like that in 03. I don't know. I think it's like one sixty now for VIP or something like that. It is still pretty affordable in the grand scheme they need to sponsor this damn podcast the way we're talking about it but hey bill street people i know you listen to this come on hook us up so you're in memphis or in jonesboro and you go down to college you get out and get a desk job so tell us about that i mean are you playing music at that point uh yeah i mean in college i kind of set it down for a little while you know I was just more interested in football and partying and all that good jazz for a few years and then like my last year I started kind of doing the cover band thing and did that for a little bit how many times have you played Sweet Home Alabama 
Oh, 3,000 probably. <laughs> yeah, you know, we did all the classic rock classics. We would do the 90s alt stuff and mix it with Almond Brothers and Skinner and all that. So mm-hmm. people like coming to our shows and seeing Santeria or like Red Hot Chili Peppers or something like that. Yeah, so I, I did that. And then for another year or two after school, and then I moved up here 2010 pretty much. Got the job with Dollar General. I started a rock band uh, within that next year or so. We played for a couple of years called the Bandoliers here. But yeah, never never took it serious to the level of like I have now. You know, we didn't tour a whole lot. We'd play, I don't know, a show every other month or something like that. And every once in a while, do like a three-show run where we go to Atlanta and Birmingham or something. Yeah. Yeah. But that is at least like a training ground to doing what you're doing now, which is, you know, you got out of the corporate life and you really jumped in on your own here and you've got this great stage presence and you've got this great songwriting and all that takes work to get. It takes the diligence you put in. I appreciate you saying that. You know, I look back on those times of like playing with the cover band and doing those kind of things and like, oh, that wasn't really productive for me. But it does still probably come out in the way I approach the stage because, yeah, you know, I might have played 200 cover shows, but like you still get on stage, you're still entertaining people, you're still learning like the art of doing that. Yeah. Um, During that time, I wasn't learning how to write good songs or any of that. But what I was learning was how to communicate with an audience. So I probably was a step up from some of the other people I was playing with at the time who hadn't played near as many shows, but might have been ahead of me musically. I was backstage a few weeks ago in Liverpool, England at the Cavern Club. Yeah, how was that? You told me you were going. Oh, man, it was cool. The Cavern Club is like this dungeon of a bar. It's really little, but it's where the Beatles got their start. I was there doing a story on the club, and a band called Fozzie was playing, like a metal band. And after the show, I'm talking to them, interviewing them. And the front man, there's a guy called Chris Jericho. Talk is Jericho, great podcast, wrestler, does all the things. I asked him, I said, said, hey, man, didn't you guys start as a cover band? And he looks at me, he's like, yeah, you know, everyone starts as a cover band. And he's right. Like nobody starts writing incredible music and their own individual stuff at 13 in Guitar Center, you know? Yeah, that's that's very true. Mm -hmm. So talk to me a little bit about what it's like to live in the music city as a songwriter and try to make it. I mean, it's got to be overwhelming at times and it's got to be thrilling at other times. Yeah, I mean, it's different for everybody. You know, I got out of the corporate world because I didn't feel like a corporate kind of person. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people who approach what I do from the corporate perspective of, hey, let me do these co-writes for this machine that's already built for new country or something like that. Mm -hmm. They literally do a nine to five where they'll show up and uh, someone's mapped out their schedule and they'll tell them to write a song about this and they'll go in the room with two other people and they'll do it. That is insane. Really? Yeah, it's all over the board. I mean, some of the publishing companies do that kind of thing. That's an extreme case. They're mm-hmm. normally not going to say, hey, you go write about this. What happens is one artist, maybe they're not developed enough to create songs that would be on their albums or on the radio. So they'll sit them down with two seasoned writers or one other seasoned writer or whatever, mm-hmm. and they'll write about stuff. But yeah, I mean, you better believe there's some of those meetings that are happening where they're saying, oh, this is successful. Let's make this artist just like this artist. And yeah, sort of like how the monkeys were like a Beatles cover band kind of. 
Yeah, pretty much. That's definitely nothing that's new. That's that's how it always is. But I'm just trying to figure out what I need to write about every day that I write. I try to get lost in like inspiration and then see what comes out of that. Whether that inspiration is listening to another record or um, going out in nature or whatever it is. I just try to come back and just try to have kind of a an open canvas and just lay something down that feels real to me. So will you go out and like take a notepad with you if you're, let's say you're hiking around a lake or something like that, or you're at a coffee shop, or do you just kind of think about all this in your head and like outline it? Yeah, I usually just kind of think. I feel like I've evolved in a way because, yeah, I used to always like take a notepad or like get my voice memos ready all the time. And now I think I've just listened to a lot of artists that I really respect and like the kind of the approach of getting lost in, in the moment that you're in. And then when you come back to writing, whether that be because you really feel inspired to do it or like I'll set a two or three hour window where I'll write on Thursday afternoon or whatever. Then when you come back to it, whatever experiences I've had in the last few days the more i soaked in that actual singular experience the more i was present in that moment the more sure. it's going to come out on paper sure so in a few minutes we're going to get into a real story from the road with eg but before we do that i want to talk to you about a song i've heard on your recent albums i can't remember if it's the latest or the one before that but it's called waiting on the aliens and this is a song that i heard at hernando's and it really hit me because it really felt like to me a song about the world today we're all living in this limbo where it's a pandemic, there's climate change going around, there's like asshole idiot politicians. Lord knows we especially have those in Tennessee. That song, can you just tell us what that song is to you? And if you can, guys, you can hit pause and play it, or maybe we can actually insert it into the show or, or a clip of it or something here. it waiting on the aliens like tell me about that song i guess to me going through especially 2020 was was a bear for everybody i try to see different angles and perspectives and you know try to talk with people and respect everyone's opinion on this and at some point during last year i think we all had that what the fuck there's nothing else i can do kind of mm -hmm. moment like mm -hmm. i can't reach 
people here are like. I tend to try to think of humans in a, a positive light and try to always see optimism in things. But, you know, there's days where I can't. And I think that was probably written on one of those days where I've tried everything to understand this or work on this. There's nothing left to do except ask the aliens to come down and take me away with them. Because surely if they're able to make it here, surely they figured something out. I think that's where that came from. Like I was saying earlier, usually I don't try to sit down and write anything. It usually just kind of like happens. I get a hook that I feel really good about. Yeah. And then if the hook's good and it feels right, I go, oh, and then I just write it all down. Ah, cool. So it comes out of the hook and it grows like a tree kind of out of this one. Usually, you know, every once in a while it'll just be like a lyric or something that catches me. But normally it's me sitting down and I was playing those chords and I was just singing, I don't need it. I'm waiting on the aliens. And then I was like, okay, cool. I got an idea for this. And then I just kind of ran with it. Yeah. But yeah, I think it was just one of those days where I was just kind of at wit's end. Had to turn off all my text messages, turn off the TV, not pay any attention to anything. And, you know, we all had our ups and downs. I think it was one those days where I was just kind of, so be it, let them do whatever they're doing. It's killing me right now. I understand that completely because at the start of the pandemic, I had all these gigs lined up as probably as you did as well in a different realm. But the idea was like March 2020, I was going to go to Machu Picchu. I was going to go to Spain. I was going to go to Japan. I was going to go to Taiwan. I had like so many things back to back to back to back. And most of it was like covered already, although oftentimes sold outside. Well, the company that runs this show really just me anyway, but they'll sponsor their own expedition. Editions. But this was all paid for. This was all lined up and set. And so there was a really long period of just sitting around, not be able to do anything. And like you said, like, what the fuck? So today we want to get lost with you as we do on every episode. And we want to take our what the fuck moment. Oh, and hey, before you move on, sorry. Did you see we have a short film out now? That includes that song. E, no, but you know what? When you play it on Spotify, and I'm sorry, I'm so fucking sorry for listening to it on Spotify. But there Are is a good? cool video that that comes up. No, we uh, we just did a short film, and actually, I could send you the link. It was premiered on Screen Rant. Yeah, tell tell us about the film. So you made a film about one song. It's three. It's the song "Ride" and "Waiting on the Aliens" and "Peace in This World." So what's the idea behind that? Well, I was thinking about, you know, I've done a couple of music videos with my friend Josh Lockhart, and he's really good. And, you know, he was just like, well, let me know what you're thinking about for this album. And I was like, cool. I had a couple of ideas. And he listened to the album. And he goes, let me pitch you something. He was like, what if we make a short film out of three of your songs instead of doing a music video? And I was like, sure, I'm all ears. We went and met, and I play the main character, one of the main characters, Professor Vines, who's been spoken to by aliens. That's and awesome. he's kind of a loon. No one's paying attention to him, but he swears that aliens have spoken to him, uh, contacted him when he was a kid. And so he kind of goes on this journey to meet up with him and tries to convince his wife to go with him. And it's that's kind of the, the premise of it. So where can people look at that? Because we'll link it in the show notes, everybody. But yep. for those who are like at a computer or something on my YouTube, for sure. OK, so EG Vines on YouTube. Yep. It's called Beacons beacons i have to check that out that sounds really cool is that stem from like an alien encounter you had were you abducted as a child i was but i really don't want to talk about it dead serious yep whoa interesting i believe you now god okay I'll, i'm gonna move on it's killing me because i want to poke and pry as a journalist but we're gonna move on and we want to talk about maybe ne maybe next time we'll we can dive further into it god that would be such a good show 
Hello, Get Lost Podcast fans. It's your girl, Margreen. You might remember me from our Rhino Rescue episode a while ago. This week, Joe is on location with me in Africa, and he asked me to read out this ad too, so here it goes. When we're bouncing around the safari truck for science, you can usually find Joe eating apples or pointing a giant camera lens at wildlife. If you know the show, you probably know that he's just a pizza delivery guy and he cannot afford to own a giant African safari lens for his camera. And that is why Joe uses lensrentals.com to get the gear he needs for expeditions like ours. Right now we have a Nikon 500mm f5.6 to get those close-up elephant and lino photos from a safe distance. And if you are someone that needs a badass lens for your own photos, you should use lens rentals.com to do the same. You can get 15% off your next rental by using promo code GETLOST15 at Lens Rentals or click the link in our show bio to learn more. And remember, promo code GETLOST15 at LensRentals.com. Now back to the show. So I want to talk to you about life on the road. As we alluded to at the beginning of the show, I'm going to hand the reins over to you, EG, and I'm just going to ask you to tell us about a gig that you guys played in Birmingham. Um, start when you load up the, the van or the truck and walk us through the whole experience because it sounds like kind of one of those crazy nights where things just go south. Yeah, so we thought we had a pretty good gig, pretty well paying at a country club in uh Birmingham, where they're like, you know, we have entertainment two nights a week or whatever it was. And the booker was like, I love your, you know, I guess she's general manager there. It's like, I love your music and we'd love to have you down. And so I'm like, cool, you know, figured out the money and the length of the show and everything. We're like, great, you know, we can do this. You know, we got there and we're loading in. I mean, this is a very prim and proper kind of feels a little stuffy when you walk in, kind of enjoy it, which, you know, wasn't to be unexpected or anything. But, you know, we go to set up on this little stage and it, Clearly doesn't look like a stage. It's had a bunch of rock bands. It's like, you know, I, re I always research these places before we go and definitely had seen like a little bit of jazz happening in there. Maybe some like solo acoustic and things, things of the like, but she said she loved the music. So we plug in and I mean, we barely hit a couple drums and plugged in an amp and we are already having some guest it's too loud for the guest you're gonna have to turn down uh, and i was like man we literally haven't we haven't even turned on the pa yet and like we can only play so quiet because the drummer's like okay well you just got to be quieter so it's like a but, room with tables and people eating or what yeah i mean the funny part is like there was only like six people there that night mm -hmm. you know for for the amount that they paid us that's pretty crazy but um yeah you know and then this one couple came in and they just loved it they were like we never get music like this in here there are a couple tables would come in and they'd kind of see us playing and they'd be like grab the waiter and go like to another room because it was too loud or something but yes yeah, so, i mean we we finished the show you know you can only turn down so much when you have live drums yeah exactly so what's going through your head when you drive down to this gig and you're excited because it pays good i assume yeah like, yeah we're gonna really like probably put in a little extra effort tonight yeah, you know, we just expected a bunch of random people. You know, it's also good when you show up somewhere and you don't have that onus on you to actually bring a bunch of people or recruit a bunch of people. You just, you think, wow, there might be 150, 200 people and, you know, it might be a pretty packed room tonight. Yeah. And then you get there and there's like six people and then they don't even like let you play to your, your normal sound. It's like we tried like the brush thing for a minute and I was like, dude, screw it. Just play like we play. And Yeah. 
Yeah. And like, are the six people there interacting or are they just kind of... The one couple loved it. And then there was this one older lady was there with her dance instructor. And like, we took a quick set break and she was like, can you play something I can dance to? And like, <laughs> I don't know what, you know, we play like an old classic rock and roll song, but I guess it wasn't one of the like dances she had learned. So she wasn't really having it either. Did she want you to play like the twist or... No, you know, I I don't know what kind of dances folks with dance instructors learn, but whatever it was, the boogie woogie we gave her wasn't enough to get her moving in the way she wanted. You know, a lot of my songs are like the salesman and king of the rat race and songs that are like just kind of taking a look at our world and money and corporations. And, um, you know, of course we need all those things, but, you know, like king of the rat race we played, you know, I just kind of see some people be like, oh, you know, what's yeah, going on yeah. in there? Is there the richest folks in town are, are having a drink in the other room looking at me because <laughs> your songs they do take a critical look at that kind of stuff which I, maybe that's why i like them because i don't trust most of those companies worth anything but it's, that's interesting it's got to be like a weird feeling to know you're playing this show you're getting paid well all that's good and yet hmm it's just not the right fit yep yeah and i like email back it was like we had a good time if you want to have us back. And I've never heard a word, of course, from Whoa. her after that. It's, but. it's almost like the opposite of that scene in the Blues Brothers, you know, where they go and play the Roadhouse Country Bar with the chicken wire over the stage. Yeah. And everybody's like throwing bottles that are like at the band until they start playing Rawhide. Yep. But you guys just had crickets. And that's crazy to me, considering like how amazing the music is. Thank you. That was an interesting night. So tell us about Louisville. What happened there? Part of what you do when you're growing a new market is you find a local band. Mm -hmm. Ideally, if you play a hundred cap room or whatever the small room is in the town, 150, you know, ideally a local band should bring you 30 people at a minimum because they're a local band. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. We had two local bands in Louisville and we had a total of five people in the audience and three of them came for us. And uh, this is a couple of years ago. And then there was one girlfriend and one dad that showed up out of the other two bands. On top of all that, it was the type of place that has a bunch of condos and apartments around it where people walk to. And it was just a monsoon that night. I mean, it never quit raining. And Louisville was also in the College World Series playing against, I think it was Vanderbilt that night, mm -hmm. the same time we played. So it was like every strike possible was there. The other thing I remember was the sound guy, after like two songs, he took off to go like chain smoke cigarettes. And we had like a pretty serious like buzz thing happen on the stage and like we're like where's the sound guy like you might know where the sound guy you know the four people in there are like because it's his uh, job like while you're playing the sound guy's job is to make sure you sound good right yeah exactly you know and and i'm used to him disappearing for like literally one cigarette he was gone for like 30 minutes just just wild out there man so let's talk about a gig that you played it was a lot of fun you think back in your head, like, what's one of your favorite gigs where you really felt like you were doing something? This past summer, we got to play at Exit Inn in Nashville for the first time. We got to headline that venue, which is really historic. Legendary spot. Yeah, you know, it's been around for 50 years. And Tom Petty and Creedence Clearwater and, you know, tons of people that were things in the seven. I think the Rolling Stones even played there. You know, anybody coming up, R.E.M., all those artists in the 80s and 90s, Pearl Jams, everyone like that. 
that's the first place uh, they played in Nashville when they were starting to break. So, you know, getting the opportunity to headline there and we're back in March again too, which would be cool. Yeah. I, I would say that one because it was coming out of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hadn't played any shows in 15 months. And then that was like our third show back had some radio support behind us here. That one felt really good. What does it feel like when you walk on a stage like that? Do you think back on the days when you were at the dollar store and, you know, here you are on stage at Exit Inn where, you know, Michael Stapp played and possibly Keith Richards and like all these legendary guys? I don't know. I'm definitely pretty hard on myself. And like, I'm the type of person that's kind of like always what's next. And I don't really sit and think about those things very often unless my Mm -hmm. my wife's like you gotta sometimes focus on some of these victories you have and like that was one where in the moment i was actually able to kind of be in the moment and go okay like this is a big stepping stone and a big milestone for me cool so that was cool to kind of have you know you're in you're in the green room and you're just thinking about everything that's happened back there and you're just like oh here i am you know so rattle off a couple places in your head that you feel like you could step on stage and it would just be kind of surreal. Obviously, one day I want to play at the Ryman here in town. I've seen mm-hmm. so many shows there. One day I want to play at Red Rocks. Yeah. You know, anytime any artist thinks about places to play, I think a couple of those are, are up there for folks. You know, there's a lot of rooms along the way that I want to get to that are the exit in kind of size of all the different cities around. Totally. You know, there's a lot, there's so many cool, like, like Alabama theater. We went there to see uh, Manchester orchestra recently. It's just like, there's so many beautiful rooms like that, that you just go in and you're like, wow, I can't believe I've never been here. And these rooms that are like, well, Alabama theater is what, 2000 seats, maybe something like that. Probably 1500 something. It's in Birmingham and it's like one of those old gilded age kind of theaters with super cool, like elaborate woodwork all around it and like velvet curtains and like just, you know, really nice. They're not velvet cheetah curtains, unfortunately. (laughs) Right. They're not quite that level, but yeah, they don't have Jerry Lee Lewis's couch in the back, but epic stuff, kind of like the Orpheum here in town as well. Yeah, the Orpheum would be very cool. Yeah, we're just, you know, I I like to just make sure I'm progressing and continually to hit back to new markets. And, you know, when you go one time and there's 30 people and you go the next time there's 55 people, it's just like trajectory upwards is kind of what you're angling for. And, And then you let the new venues come as they come. When you go to a place like New York, being a a singer-songwriter from down south, what's the level of apprehension like or appreciation you get? Do you you feel a little self-conscious or you feel like, hey, this is going to be cool. Like these people here will appreciate what I have to say as well. The songs that connect, I feel like connect in the south, they connect in the north. And there's people from all over everywhere too. Like I guess Mm -hmm. people come out to New York or somewhere up there philadelphia or whatever that are hey i'm originally from alabama or whatever i heard your song the hate remains about alabama and i i got it but yeah i think as long as i'm writing something that strikes that emotional core with me and is about something real i tend to find that like the same songs usually connect here in nashville memphis birmingham as do in philly new york boston wherever sure What do you think life on the road has taught you about humans in general? Like if you take away the the gig and everything, just that amount of travel. That we get cranky when we don't get enough sleep. (laughs) Yeah. 
that fast food has a limit, you know. I guess I'm the type of person, I, I do kind of feel like we like to bucket people because it helps us make sense in our heads of why people are a certain way or areas are a certain way. But I, the more I travel around, the more I tend to realize that I think people are very, very similar everywhere. They just kind of mm-hmm. have their certain things that they're more about or maybe that people don't like about this group or that group. But, you know, in general, I tend to find that people... You know, we're all looking for the same stuff. Deep down, we're all kind of the same, I guess, is what I I tend to find the more I travel. As we sort of wind down here, I want to pick your brain a little bit about the music industry as a whole right now. Because obviously, when you go on tour, you're getting paid by a venue. Uh, Maybe it's good pay. Maybe it's not much pay at all. But the primary way that people seem to consume music now when they're not at a show is streaming. How does that affect your goals and like what you guys do as a band? Streaming is, it's kind of like YouTube at this juncture for me. Some people will go there and, and listen to it, but it, there's no money in it for me. Uh, very, very little anyway. I mean, it's 0.4 cents per stream on Spotify pretty much is what we get paid. 0.4 cents. So that's less than a half of a cent. If you stream the whole 10 song album, yeah, I get four cents. Wow. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. crazy. I mean, I don't want to get into why I think it all bubbled up and became a thing when it did. But I mean, it's clear that if you're a legacy big name artist and you're that record company or whoever holds the rights to that catalog, it's pretty clear and obvious that they're making a lot of money. If somebody wants to go and listen to the Beatles or Otis Redding, you know, Mm -hmm. and listen to a certain song and it gets millions and millions and hundreds of millions sometimes plays those numbers add up pretty fast you know and you get a lot of people that are going to stream that 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 don't necessarily want to go get that whole album they're not going to go pay 30 dollars for the vinyl or whatever they're they're going to stream it a few times on spotify so those people tend to win i mean it's it's still that kind of system now is it good to be out there so that some random you know guy that works at x corporation whose friend knows about me can tell him and he can go back to his desk and listen to a song and see if he likes it yeah there's some positives there's a quick that could get you a gig yeah there's quick access to it so you know it doesn't help me so much financially but it is right now i just kind of view it as like it's another means for someone to find it and it's it's an easy access point for someone to go okay i can go listen and see if i like it or not yeah, sure. So for people that do like they want to support the band, what's the best way to do that? I mean, how can people still do that if they can't drive to a show? If you genuinely like it, like telling other people is the number one thing I'd ask people to do. Following on, on the socials or on my email list is always big because that keeps you connected to me. And then you could go in my store and I have shirts, we have hats, we have vinyl. If you do vinyl, we have cds um so there's always that option of going in the store and hey i really like uh really like the music let me just get a t-shirt and that 20 25 bucks whatever it is will you know those kind of things go a long way to me producing more of it and and continuing to to make new product yeah and it is cool merch Uh, you had a little merch booth at hernando's hideaway and i had to scope that out because it is actually cool stuff I wonder how much of that, and maybe we could ask Jericho one day if I can get a hold of him again, but I wonder how much of that is similar to like in the wrestling world. A lot of those indie guys, they make most of their income off of merch and not 
actually like working. Yeah, I mean, especially when I take a band somewhere, you know, mm-hmm. if I play with a four piece, I've split that four ways. And there's some shows in certain markets where I'll make several hundred dollars off of merch, you know, yeah, decently regularly. So that's huge for sure. People that don't have merch are definitely shooting themselves in the foot because everybody needs some T-shirts. And the hat I've found has been a hit. And uh, the good thing about a hat is you can wear it every day. You know, T-shirt, yeah. you're going to wash it and it's going to be down for a month. But the hat, you can wear it every day of the week. Yeah, totally. And uh, profit margin on hats, pretty good. So yeah, <laughs> that, that helps too. Well, dude, thanks so much for coming on to the show today and for sharing stories and giving us a little insight into how songwriting works and how the music industry is. Because I think it's a tangled web and most of us probably consume music every day without realizing you got to listen to an album 20 times for the artist to make a dollar. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. And, uh, you know, you just got to keep plugging. A lot of industries are the same way. There's there's a few people that break in and everyone else is just kind of fighting for the scraps. And I think that's kind of what we do at this point. You just get out there and you hit the pavement. And if like, if it's really supposed to be your thing to do, I think eventually you, you keep going long enough and it happens. You got to see all the small wins. And, you know, if it's really something that's in you, you'll, you'll do it probably until until you become that name travel writing is is very much the same way and with some of our outlets yeah that fraction of a cent thing that's real too some places that i write for they they try to give you a deal like that and you're like god i don't i can't work for you because this doesn't work you know if i wrote a story and it gets 150,000 views that's really good so it's probably worth more than like five bucks Especially when it's loaded with ads and you go to look at your story, you can see all the ads. So yep. anyway, that is how it works. So maybe we'll get better as a society. Maybe we'll do something different. I don't, I don't know, man, but we'll get there. Tell us real quick, uh, where are you playing coming up? Where can people go see you this winter and, and in spring? Oh, we're, uh, we're working on a bunch of dates right now. We're going to get back to pretty much everywhere we went to in the back half of, uh, of this past year. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if people want to follow me or go to my website, uh, egvines.com, should be announcing, starting to roll out, trickle out some dates in the next week or two. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll be back your way into Memphis. We'll, we're going to go down to Texas and back over to Virginia and up the East Coast and through the Midwest and the Southeast and um try to do it all here before too long we start up in march sweet thanks so much man egvines.com uh instagram egvines just really good stuff really great songs and we appreciate your time thank you joe i appreciate it